0: This is Paul Siegel. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live at 1 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv wanderingdms and youtube.com slash wanderingdms live. And now, on with the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul.
1: And I'm Dan. And on this episode of Wandering DMs, we're going to be talking about the new 1D&D rules draft that was just released three days ago. And this one is on the expert classes of rogues, rangers, and bards. And so we're going to critique. We're so, we're so excited to be able to critique those uh, as DMs who've played every edition to date. So I think we're in a good uh, position to uh, give some perspective on uh, what the changes look like historically and uh, we'll be talking more all that and more today on wandering dms now dan this is this is the
0: second uh pdf they've released uh expert classes i presume that the third one will be called companion maybe
1: That's sort of a deep cut depending on <laughs> depending on how, how far back you play D and d. Fantastic. Uh, you know the claim is that the initial claim was that they were gonna have a drop like this every month. Uh, one interesting thing is they as for the one that came out, I mean, so so they they just barely got this in the month of September, right? So this came out September 29th. So they just man- they barely managed to squeak one in uh, into September. And among the comments they're saying is the one that came out in August, Uh, I guess they're processing over 40,000 surveys submitted on that. And and, and the time for feedback is closed. So they only have a window for feedback on one of their documents up until the next one gets released. So actually the time for feedback on that first document is over, apparently. And now they just want people focused on this one.
0: I mean, I I applaud that they're trying to do a process, right? I think it's great that they're releasing bits and trying to get feedback and like testing their stuff. That's I mean, we're big fans of testing. Test your stuff, right? Um, I will say, though, like, I don't know, this is probably just a personal preference. um, But, you know, I've always uh, I I like I like my systems light and and easy to digest. Uh, for me, like the basic D&D book is, comes in at 64 pages. And that's like the sweet spot for me for the size of a, of a rule book. And I was reading yeah. this one. This second PDF, which covers three out of 12 classes that are going to be released in this game, was 37 pages long. And, I, and there's yeah. no art. This is just text. And I'm thinking, yeah. holy crap, how many of these are there going to be? How, how big is this book going to be?
1: Yeah, and you pointed out that uh, they they say they're going to have by the time they're done, they're going to have forty eight subclasses, and this document only has three subclasses in it. So yeah. there's quite a there's quite a bit of more territory to go. And if there's th- approximately thirty seven pages every month for the next
0: eh,
1: year and a half, maybe I don't know, year. Um, Ooh, yeah, yeah, it's sizable. It's sizable. Now, now, now
0: it's not that, it's not just yeah. additive, right? Right. It's not just additive, like you Correct. were pointing out. Correct that that, that this document say. contains amendments to the first document, right? It's yeah, fascinating.
1: So they have a they have a section at the back. They're calling rules glossary, which which is you know a, a, a very refined presentation of changes they want to make to core rules, up and up to mm-hmm. and including how a D twenty role works, mm-hmm. as well as you know other abilities and statuses and things like that. And so the the document here and Crawford in an interview said every single document we release the rules glossary at the end completely entirely supersedes what came before so at this point ignore the entirety of the rules glossary changes from august and now you just focus on this and one thing that pops out uh, go ahead
0: does that mean does, it, does that mean is it meant to be comprehensive Do you know like if, if something simply does not appear in a subsequent rules glossary does that mean it was removed
1: I think so. I think that is exactly what they're saying with that. Yeah. And in particular, the real standout is and, and uh, we overlooked this change that when we talked about the first document a month back is the first document uh, changed the rules for how attack rolls make a little bit. I could not detect what the change was, but other people were much more on the spot. The change was only player characters can make critical hits. Monsters could not make critical hits. And so I think there was a lot of pushback on that. I personally really had a foul, foul taste in my mouth about that. And interestingly, what immediately came to my mind on the um, Monsters Can't Do Critical Hits is Gary Gygax predicted this in 1978. He had an article in Dragon Number 16 in 1978 where he said the whole idea of critical hits is fundamentally offensive to the, the core system of Dungeons and Dragons because... What's going to happen is you're going to there'll be a push for only player characters do it, monsters don't, and that's inequitable, and and Uh that's clearly going to happen at some point, and that's why I don't want to see critical hits at all in the system, and at least as far as the August one D and D document, that's exactly what happened, but that's not there now, that is that is gone as of uh, September, so um, and, and Crawford's claiming that uh, these changes aren't necessarily even based on the feedback. They're not <laughs> done going through the survey. So he's saying we plan on just iterating a bunch of changes from month to month just to see what sticks or what people are happy with. So that seems to be a change that um, is, uh, was, was there just for a month and is now gone.
0: So so does that mean that the, so by the current document, are we seeing that there are no critical hits at all or that critical hits operate like they used to?
1: I will pull that up. You know what? That occurred to me. That occurred to me before <laughs> like we started. I okay. So I'm I'm going to guess that it's the same as what it always used to be. Um, attack roll. Yes. Uh, this unearthed Arcana article uses the rules for attack rolls and critical hits found in the 2014 Player's Handbook. So that is very explicit. That there's uh, that currently they're sticking with what occurred before. Yep. 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 Let me just throw up a, uh, a comment from uh, William here in the chat um, that I think I agree with. So William's pointing out the whole do players and monsters NPCs follow the same rules seems to be one of the major fronts in game design philosophies. And I will say that the you know the original creators of D and D, Guy and Arneson and Frank Mentzer were very explicit that they wanted um, equity between you know as much as possible between monsters and and players and things like give monsters a fair shake uh and and mints are really not liking sweep attacks because because they the only players get that so that was very much on their mind and obviously that's critiquable and um some people might not share that design but that was very much on the mind of the original creators for what that's worth fascinating uh
0: let's let's dig into, um... Let's dig into what's actually in the document, right? Like the major focus mm-hmm. of this document is classes, right? right? Specifically, expert classes, which is right. I think amusing to me what to is that? lead with a group called experts.
1: Yeah. And what <laughs> is that? Right? So that's a new term, right? That's a, expert classes is not a term that previously existed in 5th edition. And among the new categorizations is they have this idea of class groups, which hasn't existed in, until before now. So they're kind of holding this out as a new systemic thing but you and i know paul that this is actually a callback to exactly how classes were categorized back in first edition and they got rid of it in third and fourth Mm -hmm. here i'll put this up on screen this is this is the idea of class
0: groups right so this document includes this idea that classes are now being grouped and there are four major groups experts mages priests and warriors which you know is a convenient way Uh, at first seemed like a convenient way of like great we don't need to spend we don't need to include all the classes in one document we can split it up across four documents but also there's mention in there about how uh sometimes like even though the groups don't have any specific rules themselves sometimes rule other rules will refer to a group so you know Mm -hmm. this rule applies in this way if you're a member of this class group uh, which is interesting and frankly the term experts is interesting to me because for me that immediately called back um the term specialist is is the other word i would think of to use for this group which is you know back in od and d right yes yeah, that's before thief was even a class you maybe wanted to hire npc specialists right good point you wanted good point. yeah so it yeah. seems to make sense to me that 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 rogues end up in this group um uh, the other thing that jumps out at me frankly looking at this list i'm like there are four groups and gosh those four groups look a lot like the original four classes don't they Fighting man, so, uh, cleric, yeah, right, magic user, and then eventually with supplement one,
1: eat. those are the first four classes. Those are the first four classes exactly. And uh, Desparal in the chat, among other people, is pointing out that this is exactly um, how, or it's ninety-eight percent the same as how things were presented in first edition and second edition. And the one, the one little wrinkle is that you had, you know, the I guess we would call them primary classes of fighters clerics magic users and thieves and then you would all the other classes were considered subclasses that used the same rules plus some modifications is how it was pointed out but it was exactly these four categories all through the early uh, era of D and i think what disperral is pointing out is the names right first edition used slightly different names from them, but the names in this list i think are exactly what you saw in second edition so they, they specifically let's, let's called at... those primary classes mages, priests, yeah. warriors, and I think experts, yeah. Let's, let's look at that first edition chart, right? So so here
0: you go. I mean, Monk is interestingly hanging out there at the bottom, yeah. but uh, yeah, right. it's our, it's our thing. magic is beef. Monk is its own weird thing.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course, that and that's what's not showing up on this list. What's in the player's hand, what's in first edition but not on this list anybody anyone in the uh, chat <laughs> it's one of the classes in, we're talking about today um
0: uh, what is missing gosh i um okay. uh nope oh, rangers are there
1: back to let's
0: go back la, la. to the other list uh bards bards are missing
1: there you go because bards. Bards in first edition they're either they're either quarantined <laughs> in the appendix that they're, they they're they're optional as of those rules um, and of course, um, someone was guessing, uh, Barbarian, uh, that didn't show up until the, 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 the first edition Unearthed Arcana Supplement. So it didn't right, exist. Right,
0: until. right, right. Right. <laughs> yeah. alongside, uh, Cavalier and Thief Acrobat and some other unusual yep. classes that you don't really see much of these days. Exactly. Um, right. yeah.
1: Oh, well that it's is interesting. though. For what it's worth, I've been writing about these exact topics the last two weeks on my blog on, uh, Delta's d d hotspot specifically for the purposes of you had to roll particular abilities to get into those classes in 1st, 2nd edition. So I was looking at the probabilities of succeeding at those things, but I had to look very carefully at those class lists and how they changed from 1st edition to Unearthed Arcana to 2nd edition, actually. So this was very much on my mind and uh, kind of struck me that this came back because this, this idea of categorizing them was removed in 3rd edition. It wasn't in 3rd, it wasn't in 4th, it wasn't in 5th they tried to say all oh, the classes are all their own unique things. And interestingly, when this gets rolled out here this week, you know, Jeremy Crawford, the lead designer, scrupulously doesn't say that this is a returning idea, right, they hold this up, here's a brand <laughs> new idea of brand this gonna make idea. it very simple. We'll have a magic yeah. item that says, oh, this can only be used by the mage class group. Oh, so simple, what a great idea. But yeah, this is a carbon copy right out of first, second edition.
0: I mean, so, okay, other things that jump out at, at me at looking at this list. One is a- interesting, I think, is there's a little bit of categorization change here that that seems unusual to me. Uh, one, sticking Ranger in with the experts. Like, I think we're mm-hmm. much more used to Ranger being a fighter type or a warrior type. Yeah, But exactly. then I suppose that was done to make room for the Monk to go under Warrior, which Monk, as we saw even in the old chart, was like a weird, what is Monk exactly? We don't yeah. know the, a thing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> initially, you know so, it, it, when monks were first invented, they were a subclass of clerics um, right
0: which doesn't really make sense because they don't have bells, right and they do seem to focus more yeah. on melee attacks.
1: yeah,
0: yeah. So, so i could yeah. I could understand wanting to get monks under warriors. Ranger under Expert seems a little odd, but they're really this presentation of Ranger really leaning into like light armor right or medium armor yeah. they, they're, yeah. you're not you know they're they're more leaning into that that sort of woodsman trope i think
1: yeah i i'll have more to say about that to me on this particular list to me the biggest surprise is putting paladins under priests uh and maybe that's because i'm super old school but of course paladin was the very first subclass ever invented and they were a special type of fighter so i'm certainly used to seeing paladins be a brand of fighter all through my gaming
0: when, when i when i was running a, a bx campaign when we were dealing with just seven classes no races seven classes mm-hmm. <laughs> um the big thing that a, a lot of folks coming from later editions of dnd missed that we eventually house rolled in were paladins and rangers those were the two mm-hmm. major subclasses that we felt we would like to see in the game and so brought those in and yeah i'm used to those being you know, as we could jump back to the first edition list, those are subclasses of Fighter. Like, right in this exactly. list, Fighter loses both of them. That's fascinating, right? Yep. yep. Both of them go away, and instead we get uh Fighter, Barbarian, and Monk. Very interesting. Yeah.
1: Now, for people following closely at home, the thing that we're not going to mention is in first edition Unearthed Arcana, there was a fifth primary class brought in called Cavalier, and the Paladin was removed from Fighters to Cavalier. We are not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm not to also that. say, you know, I feel like it's interesting that, you know, we're assuming that this is done, you know, in this this mode of like, well, we need to make the game more approachable to newbies, right? Mm-hmm. And and so, so what's not what's kind of left unsaid is hey, a long list of lots of classes is overwhelming to new players. Right? And and it yeah. seems like they're they're walking this balance of wanting to be able to say, this game is easier for new players because look right. there's even advice in there like oh you're making a brand new party you really should have at least one person from each group one character type what an idea an what a great party. idea yeah.
1: you should have yeah. one of each of those things <laughs> yeah. wow yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, right i mean the, uh, classic on the other part, hand, right, you could pull yeah. classic original dnd art from the get-go I'm like here's four here's your party of four people and they're one of these things yeah
0: yeah uh, on, on the other hand they're they're also trying to tout look how deep our rules are look how many options there are we have 48 subclasses right holy cow 48 subclasses which i go oh my god 48 subclasses right
1: that's a lot of course the meaning there's a couple of great points you just touched on paul there of course the meaning of the word subclass has changed from what you and i are used to uh in first second edition right so uh subclass was a class that was related to a primary class you could be a fighter or you could be a paladin, which is a fighter plus extra, you know, alterations to it. So nowadays, the, and, and th- I believe this is actually new in the, fir- in the fifth edition um, uh, oeuvre, is they're using the word subclass for those pathways that you get to pick, like around third or fourth level of, I'm uh, uh, a wizard, and at third or fourth level, I get to pick a school. Am I in the school of abjuration or the school of conjuration or whatever? or if I'm a bard, I get to pick what college I'm in. I mean, am I in the College of Lore or something like that? And I always, I gotta admit, looking at fifth edition stuff up until now, I thought it was really weird that they didn't have a global term for all of those things. You had to separately talk, am I talking colleges or schools or archetypes or, or something else? Um, and I gotta admit, I, for personally, I support having a single solitary term for all of those choices. And that is a, a little bit different than um, what I'm used to using the, the term subclass for. Mm-hmm. To but me, you know, this, this, this version yeah. of
0: subclass is very reminiscent to third edition prestige classes or second edition kits, right? This is a, a, a yeah. thing that gets added on. And frankly, I always, always, it always reminds me, frankly, of coming more from the world of video games where you have things like skill trees, right, if you remember playing playing good old uh, Diablo and trying to decide or maybe it was Diablo 2, right trying to decide okay is my wizard gonna go down the fire or the ice or the you know which branch of magic am I going to specialize in
1: right 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 yep mm-hmm. totally totally but you know it's for some of us it's uncomfortable to have these terms shift underneath us so you know I'm playing first or second edition and subclass means one thing and now in um, as of sixth edition I'm going to call it you know, subclass, the same word is getting used for something different. And sometimes that bothers my brain a bit. I can, I can understand. But, I, you know, I, I actually support that. I think they, they need one term for all those things that are really the same. And that is that is a move that I would have made too, frankly.
0: Dan, there's, there's one other thing here in the text that it talks about just classes in general that I wanted to get your opinion on. I'm gonna show it up here on the screen because this jumped out at me right away. Just at the very beginning where it's defining what even is a class, telling us that classes contain rules about your character. And most of the inhabitants, I've got it highlighted here, uh, it says most of the inhabitants of the multiverse aren't members of a class. I'll go back, and it says characters who have levels in a class are exceptional. Classes are the exception, Dan. Most inhabitants of the multiverse do not have a class. What do you think about that?
1: So that's very that's very classic. That's that, that's yeah. very uh, classic from original D&D. Um, there was the concept of a, of a normal man uh initially Mm -hmm. or level zero and uh uh so i'm I'm accustomed to seeing that myself uh most monsters don't have classes things like that uh and and just talk about humans Humans in the campaign world most of them were unclassed so i'm accustomed i think third edition tried to mm, fix that but i don't think it was a good idea so i'm very comfortable and i agree with this
0: yeah I, it's always struck me as a kind of problematic though, um just from the concept of um you're telling me that people who have a class are exceptional, but it seems like as you play d and d especially as you start throwing in oh well these n p c s these people of power this this the 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 baron of this realm, this major n p c they're clearly exceptional as well, they have to have class levels. You know these monsters. so you come start coming with rules sometimes where like this monster has some class levels. We start doing that right and And my gut says, gosh, for something that says like uh, uh someone who has a class is exceptional, there are a lot of exceptional people and and I'm immediately reminded of the old garrison Keeler line of uh you know of his uh hometown being where uh, all the right. students are above average like right <laughs> or or frankly playing I remember back in the nineties playing in a larp where uh, everyone in town is a PC because who, you don't have the bodies for people to portray common, ordinary people of the town. And I'm like, it's weird. This town is full of heroes. There's a lot of heroes in this town. Maybe you get that in
1: MMOs too, right? Like, everyone's a hero. True. <laughs> where are the normal people? Yep, yep, there should be. I mean, I, and I think, I think like at a table, in a tabletop role-playing game, it's easier to hand wave that there's several hundred or several thousand people walking through the streets in the market and they're all unclassed. You know, it, you know, you get, you know it's very easy to get a biased sample for these kinds of questions. And for what it's worth, I was watching a, a, a pretty good video this morning of someone critiquing 1D&D and, and the upcoming business model specifically, and saying that this is actually gonna be hard for uh, non-neurotypical people. And, uh, and, uh, and she said, you know, I think that there's more non-neurotypical people playing role-playing games and i thought yeah i mean i sympathize with that i mean i feel that probably i'm in that category and when i play role-playing games everyone around me is probably all non-neurotypical that's the typical thing everybody around me is all non-typical <laughs> um, you know, if, when you're in a particular uh you know niche yeah. subculture that's very easy to happen so if you're if you're heroic in D D and you're exceptional have classes quite likely you're going to be in a room with a lot of other exceptional class people. I, I feel that.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's, it definitely starts to break things for me, I feel like. In just terms of world building, that like it's hard for me to imagine a world where there are people running around who are this much more amazing than the rest of the world. Right? That would be a very, very different place from the world we live in. right? That's very, very different from, right? how would that impact society if you had people running around with these crazy powers, I think, more than well, we just
1: I think that you and I have um, have uh, debated this in other design questions mm-hmm. in the past, actually. Yeah. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. I, well, okay, so, I mean. It's tough, uh, you know, right? You know, because exactly.
0: I think it, it digs no. back to the idea of just how much power are we talking about, right? And this is, I'm reminded of the um, uh, the pamphlet that Matt Finch wrote about what is old school gaming, right? And one of his points is, you're, it's not super heroic, right? You're not playing Superman. You're playing Batman. You're playing people who are ordinary people, but are very well trained and have, you know, a lot of abilities, but are not like crazy powerful. Um, anyway, I, I, I I'm i brought this down such a weird tangent. I apologize. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting to me. It's very interesting to me to take this stance and bring it out and highlight it right away. To say that most inhabitants of the multiverse are not members of a class you're special
1: i'm gonna i'm gonna note this as a possible future show topic now yeah. because i'm right. i think i and our viewers are interested in digging into this but that wasn't the point of today. i'm that's i think i want to go into this prepared that's a discussion i want to yeah. go into prepared okay, great. Great. um let's, a, let's, a, uh, a,
0: pocket that one
1: yeah pocket yeah that one what a great topic so Got let it. me touch back on another thing you said is the um uh you kind of you kind of touched upon the uh, the tension between lots of choices, right? And winding up with a big document, and lots of subclasses and the tension of, well, then for a new player, how do you even begin, start to make those choices? And so it's so a bit of a tension between lots of options for customization and, uh, analysis paralysis and, uh, have it be difficult for new players to make decision. I've seen that happen at the table when I shifted to third edition um i've totally seen players get new players get stymied at making decisions between the ability scores and the races and the classes and wanting to understand all that stuff so what they start doing in this document i think for the first time they're very explicit about it is that they start giving default options for every single choice so for all the um uh, the equipment you, you you get a package of equipment you get this equipment or you could take the money and you can go shopping. The feats at every single level. Here's the feat that you get. Or you could go pick one of the other feats if you like. The spells. Yep. Here's, here's all the prepared spells that you will have at every single level for the entire uh, lifetime of your character. Or alternatively, you could go pick other ones.
0: Yeah. It, it, is, it is interesting. I mean, we're certainly used to the idea of saying, like, there are lots of options, and then maybe that's too much, so here's a prepackaged set that you can just take, just take the, the, the standard package, right? And this is flipping that mm-hmm. on its ear and saying, like, definitely the way it's presented, you know, it's the same rule, the rule hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. But it, the yep. presentation is, you definitely have this, okay, if you want, you can customize it, which is right. fascinating, right? right? So I put it up on the screen here for the prepared spells, that's the one that jumped out at me, just literally starts with, you have the following spells prepared, boom, 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 boom. Alternatively, you can prepare two zero level spells and one first level spell of your choice it seems like is a bard. very awkward way this of presenting is... that
1: you think I it's smart with I think that. It's a,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. No, i said this is for bards is what i was saying specifically oh, this is for bards
0: the um, yeah yeah okay. um, i've got the uh, bard one up but i think I, it does this for every spellcaster
1: absolutely of course yep that, plus all the feats plus the equipment plus some other stuff I, I do i agree with you paul i feel like this is awkward um it, it's 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 you know i maybe it's just because it's new but it it feels it does feel awkward to me that it kind of buries i feel that it kind of buries the idea that there are there's a larger spell list frankly i feel like Uh. i could almost i could almost overlook that because you know you have these italicized parts that i think that's what i'm going to visually focus on and then Mm. this alternatively you can do something else that i guess is in some other page of the book that i need to go look at that i might not understand i don't know and the other thing is it winds up, if they're going to do this, because they do this here for every single separate level of bard from bard level 1 to 20, here's the new spells you're going to be preparing. And that takes up a lot of text. That take, I feel like it take, like that list of just default spells takes up as much text as the rest of the class description. So well, this I'm is like, interesting, Dan, yeah. because...
0: I, I kinda I kind of want to segue from here to to another another topic. And and it's I, I, I just want to point out that we're about half an hour in and we haven't even talked about the three specific classes that are in this topic. Of course not. But but um here's here's a thought that struck me. So one of the reactions, one of the big reactions I'm seeing online a lot to One D D in general, is actually some pushback around the way it's being sold. Right? A lot of people seem to be very mm-hmm. unhappy about the fact that we're moving away from a you buy the game and now you own it, right? You, you bought the books, we're done. Versus what appears to be moving into more of a subscription model, right? You're going to go onto D&D Beyond, you're going to buy licenses, that has a renewal rate over a period of time, uh, more content will be released, there's add-ons that you can buy, etc. But basically, you're going to be paying for this forever. Right uh, Now, this makes sense to me on a business side. Um, and, and you pointed out that maybe this is just unique to my perspective, but, but my gut says historically Wizards of the Coast has been in the business of selling paper, whether that's books or magic cards or whatever, their business model is we sell paper and paper is a dying industry and Wizards knows this and they want to change that and say, let's instead be in the business of selling software and Sure enough, that's how software gets sold these days is, you know, licenses and subscriptions and renewals and 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 changes and whatnot. So all of that makes a lot of sense to me from a business vantage. whether it's good for the customer or not. mm, I don't know, but uh, all that makes sense. So why did I bring that up? What what jumps out at me in this is like, what's the UI going to look like, Dan? Is this really how they expect us to consume these rules or. Am I going to go into D&D Beyond and license the books and hit the character builder? And then in the character builder, it's going to go, here are your spells. Click this checkbox to
1: customize. Uh, that's a, I kind of wrap my head around that. Um, that's, that's, my I, gut says
0: I, that that's what it's going to look like, right? You're going to yeah, make I a mean, new I, character I, and it's going to go, boom, you get spells. Yeah. Here they are. Your spells, are, these are your spells. Click here to yeah. customize.
1: Yeah, I, 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 that seems that seems quite likely. Okay. Um, you know, and, and, that, and, and that's to be clear, going to feel I. Better? Yeah, sorry, go on. I keep cutting. Off. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I I'm not in the the habit of of building stuff online in the first place. Um, I will. I, I, so first of all, I, I agree with the people critiquing that. Right. So that was that was the, the the fundamental topic of the video that I was looking at earlier this morning, and and thanks to our patron Ash for actually pointing that out on our Discord server. Otherwise, I wouldn't have seen that, so i I agree it hits me it I feel like it kind of stabs me in the heart in a bad place if that's how things are gonna gonna uh, uh twist into um yeah, I think that the the UI probably will be like that, or maybe it'll just be like it fills out your spells and then you know click here to change the spell yeah, yeah, could be yeah it. I think but I think
0: that presentation in the digital mode is my point is I think presentation in the digital mode will be easier to digest and feel more natural than it does. As written here in I text. See, I see. Yeah. Which I think is very well,
1: interesting. Uh, so, the, the, the nuance that I would add that discussion, and we've said this before, is of course, uh, you know, Wizards has tried to make this move in the digital now going on 25 years, and they have never managed to execute. Uh, obviously, they brought in some uh, executives who are coming from software companies like Microsoft. Um, so of course, as I, my, my standard idiom is everything in the entire world is all impossible right up until the day that it finally happened for the first time. So maybe <laughs> maybe be, maybe this will be different now, but of course, you know Wizards is part of Hasbro. Has, what's the business of Hasbro? It's not fundamentally software. it's toys and board games and physical you know physical clothes, yeah. things you'd sell in a store. Yeah. So trying to make Wizards uh, a, a software company, they, they, have, keep, they, they have kept smashing uh, grandiose projects against icebergs for many years now. And um, I, don't, you know, I don't know if they're going to be able to um, – they, they've gotten in trouble in the past, right? I think um, that was one of the primary claims about fourth edition is we're going to make this more like a massively m- multiplayer online game. Yeah. And yeah. not many people uh, appreciated that a lot. I mean, so I, I will, I will the, say, the screen right now, is the rules getting mangled in order to work yeah. well with a, with the a virtual online system or not? Again, I will.
0: I will say, I I will push back a little bit on the on the there portion of Hasbro, in as much as I think Hasbro is trying to make this move as well. I think that the digital okay. gaming uh department of Hasbro is rapidly growing. And I know a lot of people in the video game industry uh, that I've worked with in the past who currently work at Hasbro. Really? Okay. Okay. Yep. All yep. right. It is uh, and not, not the Wizards part of Hasbro. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, yep, yeah, yeah. we make, you know, all those classic Hasbro board games you're used to, I guarantee you those are all on the Play Store on your phone. Go take a look.
1: Okay. All right. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Uh, that uh, that insight, actually.
0: Yeah. Great. Yeah, Great. yeah. So, I, I mean, so, yeah. I mean, the world is going in this direction, is my claim. That's, that's, hopefully
1: this is the way society can, is progressing. Ho- hopefully, they can give jobs to some of the people that are being let go from Google Stadia and stuff like that, because or uh, <laughs> ha, ha, the Amazon uh, game uh, attempts, right? There's a lot of big companies that are not, not, not video game companies that try to make this switch and then dump a whole lot of cash down ha. a money pit.
0: Yep. It's not easy. It's definitely not easy to pivot. Yep. Yeah.
1: Anyway. It's a different kind of industry. Um, anyway, that's what you get on Wandering the you get You get, you get insights specifically about <laughs> software gaming, and we what, can't restrain what about, ourselves. <laughs> and what, if, what about this
0: idea, though, that generally you're, you're going to buy by subscription, and stuff is going to auto-update under the covers, and you don't have to worry about it because digital UI is just going to work. Boom, boom, boom click the button, it's fine. You don't need to consume all the rules up front. You can just tinker with the UI. I mean, I've played games of D&D that, where we came at it via yeah. D&D Beyond. Where we, you know, yes, some people had the book, but others just had their tablet and they opened up D&D Beyond and they made a character, and they only dug into the rules
1: as needed. Because I it, know, Fascinating. I can... Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: it's going to allow for much more complexity of games, right? Like my uh, cantankerous, I only want 64 pages worth of rules. Uh, that goes away quickly when the rules are automated by software and you don't have to read them anyway, so whatever.
1: But it generally becomes more restrictive that dms can't just by fiat at the table start changing stuff um that we're accustomed for to or, you know rolling out yeah, yeah new yeah. house rules or add things to the to the game so um it it, on, it looks uh, flexible like that to begin with but it, it really is has got to be more restrictive than the anything goes on paper while we talk to each other a uh, game hmm. Hmm. Let's talk about these classes. We should we should we should, we should yeah, before sure. the hour is up. We should actually we talk, about the the, we should talk about the three classes that are in this document, them, right? Yeah. Great. Great. Okay. So so I let, let me let me deal with rogues first. Okay. So I've, to my yeah. eye, right, and, and all these classes are altered somehow, the 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 o- the overall table of, you know, classes and levels and hit yeah. dice and uh, proficiency bonuses, those things are all identical. The number of spells per level for the bard is identical. In some ways, you know, this document is, you know, trying to hew much more closely to 5th edition than some other edition changes that we've seen. So that I feel like that's interesting. Um, the, the, the rogue, to my eye, what I want to call a thief, seems like it's changed the least. There's just a couple things that have moved around in their ability list, and more, more or less, it pretty much looks the same as how it used to be. So... And that's, and that's your fundamental Thief. That was, you know, your fourth primary class in original D&D. It's kind of a mainstay. I've, I'm not too surprised about that.
0: hmm hmm I think the, I, I, the, the interesting thing to me about the Thief, I will say, or, or the Rogue. Let me say the Rogue, right? Because Thief is the subclass they present here. I think someone earlier asked a question. I, I, I'm missing it. Someone asked, like, how many subclasses per class we're going to see. And I think my math suggests there will be four. Right, if there's gonna be 48 total subclasses and we're seeing yeah, yeah, exactly 12 classes, I'm gonna guess four. Okay. So yeah, um right, but these these documents only give us one subclass per. Um so the interesting thing about the rogue, I will say, especially the way like say terminology saw the rogue in fourth edition, is that we end up focusing on the sneak attack ability, or backstab as we used to call it. Mm-hmm. Um that seems to be the primary, like, all rogues have this. And then thieves are interesting because they get all of your kind of classic cat burglary, hide in shadows, you know, move silently, etc., etc. type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Am, I, am I right about that? Or am I making this up?
1: <laughs> yeah, I agree with
0: that. Yeah. I think that's it. And so it's an argument. There's an argument that possibly thieves are more like a fighter than a rogue. Because they're just, a, they deliver a specific kind of melee attack. They they favor a single. Hmm. They're your glass cannon. They're a high, they're they're a okay. melee fighting, high damage, low armor class. Hmm.
1: Uh, I. I. That. That would be uh, an interesting novel uh, perspective to me. I think. Uh, and we had a. We had a. We had a whole episode just about uh, sneak attacks. Right. This, this <laughs> yep. year. So we hashed that out, and I think there's a lot of ways, a lot of different ways to assess whether the thief gets a sneak attack or not. And I think that maybe, you know, by the original books, it was pretty rare. It was hard to carry off. Maybe it would only happen once per combat. Um, And I I would say maybe initially um, the, the, the backstabs were a fairly rarely utilized feature. And the other stuff was maybe more important. And over time, in order to give more equity in a fight, we've been m- more and more generous about permitting the thieves to get their sneak attacks. Um, so I feel like that's maybe colored a bit historically. Is yeah, that coherent? Does I, I that agree make with sense?
0: that. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I do think that is a move that we're continuing to see happen. Now, maybe it's been around since fifth edition and is not really that different in this document, but it's interesting to me that, like, that it, it, more and more we're focusing in on sneak attack and further away from classic thief skills, as I think of them, right? Which, which in yeah. OD and D, that was always my thought of why Why are you bringing a thief? Well, we need someone to find and remove the traps. We need someone to, yeah, you know, um, you know to. I to see what scout. you're saying
1: with that. I see what you're saying with well, that. A lot, a lot of the thief abilities here are, and I, and I think this is, you could say this as far back as at least third edition, but a lot of the abilities are combat based. There's there's yeah. cunning action. There's uncanny dodge. There's evasion. Um, mm-hmm. There's elusive. And, and all these things are combat related. There's also, you know, reliable talent, um, uh, which is more what we think about there's subtle strikes. And that's combat related. So you're right. Most of these abilities are combat related, actually. You know, one thing I'll point out again on the everything gets a default is at third level when you're going to pick your subclass. Again, the language here is you gain the thief subclass if you're rogue. You gain, you gain <laughs> the thief subclass or another rogue or- subclass of your choice. So everything is all, all phrased that way.
0: anyway generally i agree that the the especially the thief subclass as it is presented here pretty similar to fifth edition rogue right um you you want to
1: talk about bards or rangers i do want to talk about bards yes um and someday we ought to have a whole we're in someday we ought to have a whole hour-long bards discussion actually so the things that i notice about bards is they're getting more healing abilities so they're getting these i believe these added default spells as they level up of healing word and restoration and they can use their bardic inspiration in combat to heal but for me the biggest twist is uh bardic inspiration used to be i give bardic inspiration in advance to one of my party members and they get to decide when to use it now that decision entirely uh, is retained in the hands of the bard. And when somebody mm-hmm. fails a check, the bard can decide to give them inspiration, write this very second. And the decision of when to it's use that remains in the bard's hands instead of the person they inspired. That uh, kind of rubs me the wrong, see, once again, that's like, feel to me, that feels like a mechanical thing that doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense in the fiction. So, the whole idea of bard inspiration is the bard would sing or tell you a poem and now you're jazzed up and you've got an adrenaline rush when you go into the fight and you're better going into the fight and now i don't entirely understand why this is called bardic inspiration like if i see you drop a cup if i see you drop something like a like a like a die or something paul i can't yell at you and go be better pick it up catch it Right. And have you suddenly be faster <laughs> in the instant that you're trying to do something. So yeah. I'm pers- yeah. I have a hard time wrapping my head around what the fiction is trying to tell us of the bard within a particular instant managing to make somebody better. Or maybe it's retroactive. Maybe we—maybe it's retroactive. I, I, I told you a poem five minutes ago, but we didn't bother to say it. Now we're retroactively saying I did that. Eh. That's the kind I mean, of that, thing that, that makes me of super it. happy.
0: Uh, yeah. That was my read readout. I don't... that. Is that we have to we have to metagame a little and we'll step away and
1: rewind time! But I did this thing. As an old schooler, I I'm not fond of those tropes. Yeah. Yeah, that bugged me. Yeah. I
0: mean, because the fiction does say, right? I'm reading it right now. It says you can supernaturally inspire others through words, music, or dance. This inspiration is
1: represented by your Bardic inspiration die. Sounds like. Yep. Yeah. So is, so is it so you you still think it happened right I mean, in the past is what you're saying?
0: Yep. 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 I mean, and then it talks right. about exactly what you said about using it after the roll and it says the creature rolls a die as the number potentially turning the failure into a success. Right? Like Yeah, I I mean in the fiction it seems to me that yeah, somehow I don't know. It seems weird that it that it's like altering the course of natural events. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's not for me. But, not 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 my not my favorite way of doing things.
0: I mean, you know, that touches on um uh heroic inspiration, right? What they're not what they're calling heroic inspiration, which just used to be called inspiration. Right, uh, which we see right. in in this document back in the rules section, right? And I think that uh, right. um you're about to
1: you I think I we're remember. about to hit the, the big the, how, the the big change to how D20 attack rolls happen here. <laughs> right Cause just because the heroic inspiration
0: gives you advantage after the fact right you decide so after rolling the d20 yep, yep there you go
1: but you know but again the, the heroic inspiration was on your sheet you know so you you received it previously that's that's a known fact in the game and then again it's in the hands of the person with the adrenaline rush to decide when to use it i'm less bothered by that now okay so now we're going down this pipe so yeah, yeah, clearly, yeah. they've been unhappy with how much this inspiration idea gets used in the game. So previously, it was the DM says, this is something that gives you inspiration, put it on your sheet. And as an amateur 5th edition player, it seems like not many DMs have actually been using that so much. Yeah. So I think I the designers are in a little the, bit in frustrated. All the f- yeah. yep. In all the games of 5th edition I played,
0: the answer was it got used not at all. Never there happened. you go.
1: There you go. And so thank you for that confirmation. And so here in this yep, document, they're yep. clearly trying to find mechanical ways to inject it more often in your game. And in this document, here in September, the way is, did you catch that? Did you see how yeah, there's one more?
0: You roll after a one. natural oh, one on a point
1: and you get inspiration. How do you yep. how do you like how do you like that? Roll a natural yeah. one and you get inspiration bonus.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's a way to. Hand- I mean, I do like, frankly. Okay, first of all, I don't like the idea in general. First of all, yeah. <laughs> right? When I was playing Savage Worlds, bennies are about one of the first things I want to get mm-hmm. rid of. I don't yeah, like yeah. the like you get these magic points that you get to use, and and I especially don't like it tied to like, and it's a reward the DM gives you for like doing a good job or, you know, it, it was it was often like good role play. Good role play which is such a subjective thing and inevitably it means half the table gets them and half the table doesn't or like oh you did a really good job at this which means what that you just you rolled really well if you rolled high so in that case it's just mm-hmm. like roll a 20 and get inspiration what do you feel better if it was roll 20 and you get inspiration
1: uh i think that i mean i they've considered that i think i okay my here's my take yeah I might, I actually, I think I would feel better if it was, if, if it was Roll20. I mean, from my perspective, again, you ought to hurt on a one. A one, your one really ought to make you very sad yeah. as a character yeah. and a player. Yeah. And I'm, well, I'm it, used to it, using, a, you know, some kind of fumble rule on a natural one. That's what ought to happen there. But more fundamentally, and I, I agree with you on, on both, Paul's, uh, both points, Paul, about um, Savage Worlds, is as a as an amateur game designer of things like my book of war, uh, war game rules that we're, we're playing Thursday nights now, if I ha- try to inject a rule and it keeps giving me trouble at the table and we forget about it and it doesn't work properly, that, that's a sign I should remove it. It wasn't a good idea. It, if it doesn't know. work at the, at the table, that's a sign I should remove it. It wasn't a great idea. And if, nope. if, the, if the current D&D designers are frustrated by inspiration not being used enough, the proper solution is remove it. Make the game a little bit simpler, get it out of there, and obviously that is a mechanic that has been seen in other games. Do not try to make D&D every single game in existence. Don't try to mash together every mechanic ever seen in a TTRPG, right? It's, 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 <laughs> don't, don't multiply these things endlessly. That's a rule that's apparently not working for D&D. Just snip it out. That's the right answer.
0: Okay. I, I, I want to ask you a question here uh, about heroic inspiration because this is the argument I see oh, no. coming up based on this rule. I rolled a natural one. Oh, no, you fumbled. But I gain heroic inspiration. Can I spend it right now? Right now on the <laughs> roll that was a natural one? <laughs> heroic inspiration gets played after I fail a test, right? I can spend it. Let gain it. advantage. Cut it. Cut it. Sell it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I feel like it's not in the spirit of the rule because I'm reading the text right here, and it says this heroic inspiration represents a character's resolve to do better after fumbling an attempt. Sounds like it is. Yeah, it is. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I see, I'm not. A, I, I not a vote
1: fan. cut it. I vote cut it. Yeah, you're, this, you're just you're clearly scrambling around in desperation trying to fit more more inspiration in the game. It's it's not working. That would be my suggestion but we should talk about rangers right so before we get about okay, five rangers. minutes to talk about rangers and i feel Wait. that Wait. um you pointed out it's like that was the first thing that popped out at you of being more odd to be in the expert um category class group
0: Look, and i feel like room. rangers
1: yeah. probably have the largest number of changes in this document and in particular it seems to my eye that they get a lot more magical like many of their abilities that used to be kind of concrete in the fiction have now become all magic and that includes so ever since original d d when rangers were first invented they've had the idea of a favored enemy and and to begin with there wasn't any choice about it, it was just like you fight giants is is was your favorite enemy and here that has favored enemy has been replaced by a spell so you don't pick a particular you know lifetime opponent now you have a hunter's mark spell that's always available and you can mark any opponent with that and get additional abilities or, or advantages against that that particular point so it could be anybody with the hunter's mark spell um where you used to have a hide in plain sight ability which in which previously was described in fifth edition as you're going to put you know mud and camouflage and twigs on yourself uh like in predator and people won't be able to see you that has been replaced by the nature's veil ability which is now described as you're invoking spirits to magically hide from view um and likewise where they used to have a multi-attack ability or multiple weapons it's now a conjure barrage spell so um i feel like that, to me this seems like a very significant step away from uh dnd being having a little bit of gritty dirty realism in the Ranger, to now it's all magical fairies and sparkles everywhere. Um, and to me, that's Interesting a rattling.
0: I feel like the Ranger has always been for those players who really, really, really want to be Aragorn, right? And mm-hmm. right, right. The, the Ranger class was clearly based on Aragorn, right? He hates orcs. 100%. He, you know, can hide in the mud. He, you know, fights with a bunch of different weapons. This is what Aragorn does. He can find his Find, he can find the trail, and he can also dig up some magical healing, healing herbs in the woods in a pinch. Hundred percent. I don't know. He's a friend of elves, so I guess maybe he can get. He has like a line towards magical stuff, but yeah, no, <laughs> it's a stretch. It's a stretch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is definitely. I would say you're right. You're absolutely right. This is definitely a major. Change in how rangers are presented. It feels very different. If
1: it was just one thing, I probably wouldn't bring it up, but they clearly they've clearly overhauled all through the whole list of abilities and changed stuff from gritty, you're 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 hiding in mud to you're invoking spirits to magically disappear. And to me, that's that's you know, it's it catches my eye. Yep. It catches my eye. Yep. yep.
0: Dan, we are almost out of time here, and I just wanted to touch on something we haven't talked about, which is epic boons!
1: Yeah, epic right! Boons. <laughs> which is a type of feat, right, which is a type of feat, nope. to be clear, that's only available at the top level, 20th level. The game only goes to 20 levels, that's the end, and so, they, they, so it, more generally, right, we, I think we mentioned this last time, is they clearly have made feats more fundamental to the game. Previously, and Crawford says this in his interview, previously, um, you got an ability score increase every couple levels, and optionally, if the DM permits it and uses this rule, you could use something from the optional feat system. Now, in this document, it's, it's twisted around the other way, and it says every couple levels, you get a feat. And if you, definitely, that's part of the core rules now. And if you want, you can spend that feat on an ability score increase. Um, and then in addition to that, they have these epic boon feats you get at 20th level, which really twists the rules around. For example, um, one of the epic boon feats is you always hit with every melee attack, period, or you always hit with every ranged attack, or you get plus 40 hit points, or you have proficiency in all skills in the game. So they're very much um, at that 20th level uh, really just going to totally willing to just break some rule entirely you, how do you feel about that i don't know i mean they're not it's
0: not like you always hit right the epic boon is you use it once and then you know i think you gotta wait till next um, turn to use it again uh
1: okay well i mean all right yeah okay so once yeah if, once a turn once a turn i guess yeah you're right yep
0: once a turn right, right. and probably right. at 20th level i'm guessing you have i don't know three or four attacks right probably okay
1: Somehow. But but still, I don't know. I mean, you know,
0: so what caught my eye about Epic Boons is the very first place in the document they're introduced is a note about how, about here's what's different about classes in this document. Guess what? We moved all of the old 20th level feats to 18th level so that there would be room at 20th level for Epic Boons. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. what the hell's an Epic Boon? (laughs) Um, and, And frankly, my gut reaction is like, who's playing at that power level? That's my reaction. Are people really playing twentieth level characters? I've, I've even, even in first edition, I never played characters past like say tenth level. And I've played in a convention game once, run by Frank Menser of a first edition D and D game that was specifically something like fifteenth or twentieth level, Mm -hmm. and it was just an excuse to like we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, woohoo, we're gonna do a really high level game because we never get to do that. Was basically how it was built. And I played it, and I was like, this is a weird. This is different. This is different than... De- because basically, the powers didn't matter anymore, right? Everything right. was solvable right. via magic, right? Magic just right. solved everything. We all have... Those, like, we didn't even have to strategize. I was trying to... It was a big group, I remember. I was trying to coordinate with other players to strategize. Like, oh, what spells are you bringing? What spells are you bringing? And then, like, quickly became apparent that we had so many spells that didn't matter. Any problem was immediately solvable by magic. And the, and it really just came down to just roleplay.
1: I think that Frank likes to play at high level. So from what I've seen him writing online, he he that he he generally plays at super high level all the time. So I think his his regular players have characters in the 30s or 40s levels or something like that and he's just accustomed to playing at that advanced level. And you know, for example, when I tried to when I tried to ask him about exactly how he handles falling damage, he kind of said one thing and then he said a second thing, which was different. And then he was like, well, I guess I just don't pay attention to it because everybody can fly and levitate. So I really, I don't remember the last time anybody took flying damage. (laughs) (laughs) Right. 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 Kind of like
0: eventually, eventually everyone's so uber powerful that it doesn't freaking matter. You can do whatever you want. And so, right. Yeah. Right.
1: Whatever. Well, but you know, again, from a business perspective, look, uh, what, you know, I, I would probably make some kind of neat treasure at the end of the trail as well, to encourage people to try to get to that point, and like, oh, it'd be great to hit on every attack." And thanks for disparal in the chat here saying, "Yeah, 20th level fighters are going to get four or five attacks nowadays. Good point. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, but, it, uh, it feels to me no,
0: a lot like the change in fifth edition to the level curve, which I spent a lot of time talking about in my blog and and McGraft and out to prove that, yes, indeed, it is much easier to get to 10th level for some reason. Or, or 10th to 11th, I can't remember, there's a dip. There's a dip around 10th mm-hmm. level mm-hmm. where it takes a lot less XP to, to level up. for, And, and that's based on playtesting. Yeah. They tune those numbers, not on any mathematical equation, but based on playtesting, they're like, this is where right. people stop playing, so we're going to make it easier for, to kick them on down the road up right. to the higher level. Right right, 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 right. And so that's what right. this feels like to me. Is Here's another reason, like, uh, people aren't playing 20th level, so here's a reason to. Yep, totally. And that's I don't yep. know if that's, <laughs> that smells. And then I'll say that's a lot like saying people aren't using inspiration, so we're going to mechanize it instead of like, maybe just cut it.
1: <laughs> they should cut it. They should cut it. Maybe, you know, maybe every only time I brush up level. again, yeah. Every time I brush up against fifth fifth edition and have the experience uh steps from level to level not be a formula, it just bugs the heck out of me. I'm like what I can't so I can't just remember it like I normally can in classic d and d I have to look at the table i mean you know and and technically that's also something that they try to keep wrapped you know uh not uh in the public uh, uh open gaming documents too so that might have been another reason why they did that but uh that um yeah, good. Strong you've, argument, Paul. Very strong argument.
0: You've, you've run OD&D games for us uh, in the past, where we are like 8th, right. ninth, 10th level. And that feels to me like the top of the power scale. I feel yeah. like I don't need another 10 levels on top of this. This is good. This feels like, yeah, as powerful as I want exceptional people in the world to be.
1: I agree with that, and I think that uh, those are the highest, pretty pretty close to the highest level adventures they ever made classically and i think when uh, gary was writing uh, you know at the, at the transition from original dnd to first edition he was he laid out like here's how long it takes us in our games to level characters up this many months this many months and he's like and you know so here's how long it takes to get to maybe 10th or 11th level and that's the highest anybody's gotten to in either my game or dave arneson's game so <laughs> everything else past this is theoretical and i think that that was pretty much as high as things actually got play tested so, I don't think it's too surprising. Um in theory, I like to, you know, original D&D says the levels can go up as far as you want, and in theory, I like to honor that, but I totally agree with you, Paul. It's it's trying to play at higher levels is is awkward at best. All
0: right, we are definitely out of time. So, viewers, if you have read these PDFs and you're aware of something that we missed, which obviously we miss stuff. Uh we totally missed the uh <laughs> natural <laughs> 20s critical thing from the last time around. So if we miss something in this document, please leave a comment for us here in the YouTube video. Um, I'm sure when document three comes out, we will be talking about this again. So uh, leave us some notes and we will discuss it in a future episode.
1: Absolutely, we'll be looking forward to that. This is such a great discussion. I love digging into these kind of mechanical rules, options and, and seeing a design process uh run out in the next couple months so i'm personally really interested in, in the next the next do- even if i'm not going to play it myself i'm really interested in thinking about it uh and of course if you're new to the uh channel remember that you can like follow and subscribe to us we're on youtube and twitch and twitter and facebook and github because we're coders and TikTok, and we do have the handle wandering dms on all of those sites so look for this there and you'll get updates about the next time we do a one D D show
0: Uh, If you prefer to listen to our shows in audio-only podcast format, um, you can do so. Those files are available at our website at wanderingdms.com and through various podcast carriers such as Spotify and Google Podcasts and iTunes. If you are listening to us at one of those sites right now, please take a moment to rate and review us there. That helps other users of that site find us, and we really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, we really do. And of course, huge thanks to our patrons who support the Wandering DMs show. And if you'd like to join them, please visit patreon.com slash wanderingdms. See a couple different tiers. Uh, among the benefits is our private Discord server. And we constantly have ongoing conversations about all of our shows and old school uh, rules and fifth edition rules uh, going on there. And we get great insights that we can fold into our shows going forward. Um, and we have an uh, after-party uh, after chat right after every show. So we'll be there in about 10 minutes to continue this discussion about uh, 1D&D and how it compares to earlier roles live on video. And we hope that you can uh, join us uh, there for that. Uh, You'll be there for that today, Paul, yes? I will indeed. Awesome, awesome. Yep, so come
0: join us. Um, I'm I'm sure we'll dissect these uh, documents even more. I'm willing to bet that a few of our viewers have dug into them themselves.
1: Absolutely. Of course. And look for our other shows. I'll be back tomorrow night, uh, Monday night, 11 p.m. Eastern time as I play more classic first edition AD&D video games like Pool of Radiance is what I'm working through right now Mm at the moment. We'll have another Book of War Wargaming show happening a week uh, from Thursday. And, you know, I'll just throw out one of the bullet points in this one DD document of things they're going to do in the future there's only eight bullet points but one of them was streamlined rules for making a base for your player characters and that is exactly what paul and i were initially going to talk about today so we're going to talk about that next week uh next sunday strongholds for your player characters in d and maybe we're going to predict something you might see in one D&D if it's a good idea so uh please join us for that We are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time, so we hope you'll join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then.